Well, happy Father's Day. Boy, that was a weak response back. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to you, Pastor. Thank you. Happy Father's Day, boss. <laughs> you know, when we come into a, a day like today, it just comes with its own uh, rules, so to speak. And we know a lot of people are traveling this time of year. We know a lot of people aren't here today because they're with dad. We have others that aren't here today because dad is deceased and it's emotional. And so it's just all kind of emotions come along with Father's Day. I will tell you as a pastor who's been preaching for a minute that this is one of the most challenging times of the year because of all of the issues. For the young that are just starting out being dads, it's exciting and fun, and, uh, and please enjoy every bit of that. For those of us that are older, you know, we just, again, just have to reach into our soul and get a hold of that which our fathers gave us that were endearing to us. As I've already said, it's, it's, a, it's a mixed bag today. It's a lot of emotions. I, I read a story that I think a lot of us will relate to. A family got together, and they were kind of having a meal together in the evening. And the kids said, we want a, we want a pet. So they negotiated and uh, said, Mom, uh, you know, you're the one. Would you get us a hamster? So Mom looks at uh, the kids and said, okay, okay, here's the deal. Here's the deal. If, uh, if you will take care of the hamster, we'll, we'll get a hamster. Uh, but you've got to take care of this, this creature. Okay, Mom, we're going to do this. So after about two months, you know what was happening. Mom was caring for Danny the hamster. And so she thought, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore. So she picked up the phone, started making some calls to find a new home for Danny. So she sat down with the kids after she'd located a family that would take Danny. And she sat down with the kids and told them what, what the plan was and she was amazed that the kids weren't too reluctant, weren't, weren't fighting her, weren't too upset. And uh, finally, one of the kids spoke up and said, well, you know, he's been here a long time. We're going to miss him. She said, I know, I, I know, but it's just time that he goes. And uh, she said, listen, I, I've already made up my mind. You know, it's, it's a lot for one person to take care of. He's, he's just a lot of responsibility. And since I'm the one that does it, I'm firm. I'm going to stand my ground. It's just time for Danny to find a new home. One of the other kids spoke up and said, well, you know, if, if he didn't eat so much and if he wasn't so messy, maybe he could stay longer. She said, no, I'm firm. It's time that he finds a new home. So go get Danny's cage. It's time to leave. And then there was that pause. And then with one voice, with just pure rebellion, the kids spoke up. Danny, we thought you said daddy. <laughs> they weren't too upset when dad was leaving, but Danny, oh, that's a different story. That's one side of the emotions, and then there's the other side. I thought that this was very good. It simply says uh, about fatherhood, if he's wealthy and prominent and you stand in awe of him, call him father. 
If he sits in short sleeves and suspenders and, and uh, he sits at your ball game or a picnic, we call him Pop. If he wheels the baby carriage and carries bundles meekly, call him Papa with an accent on the first syllable. If he belongs to a literary circle and writes cultured papers, call him Papa with the accent on the last syllable. If, however, he makes a pal of you when you're good and is too wise to let you pull the wool over his loving eyes when you're not, if, moreover, you're quite sure no other fellow you know has quite so fine a father, you may call him dad. And that's kind of where we are, somewhere in between of the fun side of dad and then the other side of dad that we we desire to respect. And obviously, when we get in this subject, we know that men can make mistakes. And men, some men make terrible mistakes. And so we, as children that become adults, we wrestle with this thing. For the men in the house that are now fathers themselves, you lean back. What did my dad teach me? My sister's here today, and for the two of us and our other uh, older siblings, much older siblings, by the way. <laughs> we had a father who uh, was kind of short on words, but he modeled what he believed. And so just watching him and observing, and our father being one who was very much a routine, and no matter what he decided to do, you know, after we get age on us, we look back, why did he do that? Why did he say that? Why did he take this position? And you start measuring it out. And so others of you are relating to our experience. But maybe, maybe you had the opposite. Maybe you had a father who was very vocal and you knew why he did what he did every time he did something because he always verbalized it. Whatever the case, when we talk about fatherhood, this is, a, this is a bigger thing than just having children biologically. We know when it comes to fatherhood, and as we, of course, are children of, of a father, we realize the role of father is, is very, very, very important. A provider, a protector, a progenitor. One who starts things, and I can remember many years ago, our son, Aaron, getting into that age of wanting to be his own person, being his own man, at that age where, you know, you know everything and nobody else knows what you know. How many knows what I'm talking about? I sat Aaron down and I said, Aaron, I said, you know, here's the deal. I can, uh, I can be your buddy or I can be your daddy. Now, if I'm your buddy and I'm always your buddy, then where are you going to go when you need a daddy? I can be your daddy, and that means I can buddy with you from time to time. But nobody else can be your daddy but me. So I choose to be your daddy. I learned that principle of being a father, and I carried it over into ministry. As a youth pastor for many years, as many of you know, I would have my state of the youth group address periodically. And remind them of my role. I could be a youth pastor. I could be their buddy. Again, when tough times came for families, came into their life, individual, whatever the case, 
They needed a priest. They needed a pastor. They needed somebody that could give them counsel. And so I chose to be a pastor more than just the good time buddy all the time. And there is that mixture, of course, that comes in of learning how to negotiate those things and compartmentalize them correctly. I'm saying all that to those of you and the others streaming that uh, you're, you're like, I feel like a failure some of the time, maybe a lot of the time, this responsibility of being a father, of being a leader. I just shared with even Janet Amon today, we were standing at the door and the way somebody greeted me at the door reminded me of pastoring in Arizona over 20 years ago. And that part of the world, there was a very strong Catholic presence there uh, coming out of Central South America and Mexico. And, and uh, many people that would come to the church there, all they ever knew before me, a pastor, was a priest. And they tried to associate that role. And in many of those cases, they were never allowed to talk to the priest. So they would literally walk past me or around me, not because they didn't know that they could, they could talk to me. But it took me a little while because I was in my 30s at that time and have people twice my age come up, how are you today, Father? <laughs> and I, I had to do my adjustment. But it's also that, that responsibility. Here's the big word. And no matter what age you are, this responsibility that comes along with it, knowing that people are watching, people are listening, people are expecting sound, sage advice, even when you're in those younger years. And so now we come to our time, this culture that we're in now. Has anybody noticed any changes going on? It's as challenging as it's ever been. What do we do now? As fathers, what do we do now? How do we handle this? How do we negotiate it? And I will tell you, not just because I'm a preacher, it is very obvious when you look into this thing that we're dealing with, it's very spiritual. But fatherhood is spiritual. When we talk about our culture, we talk about our country, we talk about this nation, this republic, and all that's going on, we have to realize there's spiritual challenges going on constantly. Spiritual warfare. There are, there, there are spirits that are designed to cancel things out that should never be canceled. There are things that are being challenged they want to replace and, of course, to divide us. The Bible talks about a spirit of lawlessness. And it also talks about a spirit of antichrist. And we know that the first part of that term, antichrist, means to be in opposition to. But it is also a spirit that says, I want to replace what you have. And this is what we're sensing. This is what we're dealing with as a people, not just fathers, but as people, as parents, as grandparents, as adults, we understand these spirits are coming and warring against us. We, we find ourselves shaking our head, our, our heads spinning. We're not allowed to use pronouns any longer. What is behind that? 
It is a spirit that's trying to eliminate any distinctions, the roles that God has given us. We're finding it's not easy to do the right thing. Can I hear an amen? So what do we do? I, I think this is a great message today on a Father's Day because not, we're only talking about the role of Father, but the role of all of us, no matter what gender, dealing with responsibility and understanding our times and wrestling, this losing these distinctions. Not that things shouldn't be modified from time to time or adjusted to or what new technology is advanced that we now can remove some antiquity from certain things. But at the core of it, what are we dealing with? Well, strangely enough, we go to Revelation chapter 3. There was a church known as Laodicea. And as much as I could get into eschatologies or preaching of last day things, what I really want to deal with for just a moment is, again, the, the description given to this house of worship. They were called lukewarm. They no longer had distinction. Just be lukewarm. Don't be hot. Don't be cold. Just be lukewarm. That was their side of it. God is saying, I'd rather you be hot or cold than to be lukewarm. No distinction. Just marginalized. These are terms we're hearing. It's a spirit driving these things. How much do we accept? When do we fight? How do we fight? The apathy that this church had been reduced to. You see, they were so blessed. So blessed. To the point they said, we don't need anything else. What they were really saying is, we are self-reliant. We don't need God. Oh, I could take you into the history of it. And just briefly to understand that this region... This city, Laodicea, had, had suffered a killer earthquake. Other communities like Bethshon had been de destroyed by earthquakes. This particular city, without governmental assistance, rebuilt. And it put within them a resolve that became unhealthy. They said, we don't need anything. What they were really saying is God we don't need you. We are wealthy. We are increased with goods and have no need of you any longer. You're an antiquated thought. This is a spirit that is sweeping and what we're dealing with now. Again, understanding our times, this, this apathy that just wants to come in. I mean, you know my style. I'm going to get right in our stuff. We don't like to be confrontational. We only fight when we're just mad or when we're pushed to absurdity. If we're not careful, the apathy will get such a stronghold by the time you get to that point, that boiling point, you've lost too much ground. This is good preaching, folks. You got to know what you believe and stand. At times we stand in silence, but we stand. We're, we know who we are in Christ. We've sung all morning long about the name of Jesus. Is that more than 
a good lyric? Is he the anchor of our soul? Is he the stabilizer of our emotions? Do we understand his words? And do we follow his model? With all this said, I want you to go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 because it brings all of us in. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, would you stand with me? Let's read God's word together. Those of you streaming, join in with us. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning of verse 14. This is Paul, who was not an earthly father in the natural, but listen, listen to his words. I do not write these things to you to make you ashamed. So let me pause you just a second. What he had been talking about is he had been doing without. He'd been imprisoned. And, and he, here he was knowing that the ones he was writing to materially were so far better off than he was at this time. And yet he wasn't going to diminish his role as being important to them as a father. So he said, I do not write these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you, there's the word, as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus, a progenitor, of course, through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Every father needs to underscore that. This is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere and in every church. You may be seated again for just a few more moments. This is where we all come together. And listen to me, church, whether you're a mother, a father, male, female, a teacher, a preacher, someone who has a different role but not in, in the, the light of ministry scope in the church position. He's writing to us and he's making a statement using himself as the model. He's writing to a group. They weren't his biological children. While he was writing them, he says, but I am your father. He said, you have countless guides. The different versions we have today, translations, some will say, you have countless tutors or counselors, the guides, teachers, and it is true. Actually, in the Greek, it's worded this way. You may have 10,000 counselors, but not many fathers. That distinction, that role that he wasn't willing to forfeit, even though he was at a low place in life, and in the natural, many would say, why do we listen to him? He's broke right now. We're doing better than he is. He would not relinquish the responsibility of who he was. He's writing to them. He said, you can have all these other people, countless guides. And really what he was describing for them were slaves. There's a word. That were hired to watch the children as they walked to school. The children get to know him very well and liked him, knew him by first name basis, could dialogue together. But the children knew this man, this woman, maybe, was not dad and vice versa. That's the message for us today. Where are the fathers? Where are the fathers? Where are they? Who are they in your life? Who are these people 
that have earned that place of esteem and respect. The house of God has to be producing these individuals to be men and women of God. Ladies, I'm bringing you into this message now. The Bible, again, I shared a few weeks ago, but again, it comes to mind. A, a young mother on the, drive, the bus route that I drive knows that I'm a pastor. She is a Christian, but she, speaks to me. And she said, would you and your wife come over and sit down with us for an evening meal? We have so many questions. We have so many questions. We just need guidance. And I said, you're really speaking to me. I believe in the generations being together. My Bible tells me that the older women will be with the younger women. Can I hear an amen? amen? How many older women would like younger women around you? Sure. And the younger women, I'm telling you, they want the older women. They want to have those relationships. It's a lie that's been spread that says you can't ever be together. That's, that's, that's a lie from the pit of hell. We need each other. We need these fathers. We need these mothers. The Bible, again, tells us to honor these. And biologically, naturally, honor father and mother. Did it say mom and dad's always right and perfect? No, but we honor anyhow. Somebody say amen. amen. Here's where I want to conclude. Paul does something that seems to be, in one sense of the word, so arrogant. And on the other side of this statement, it seems to be an untouchable. He said, these things you have seen in me imitate. Wow. I like a more modern word that just speaks directly to us. I want you to copy me. It's one thing to emulate somebody. It's another thing to copy. That means you're watching me so closely in everything I do. that you see something in me that you want to have in your life. But to be the person, say, I'm going to be the one you watch, how threatening does that sound? The role that I serve in life as a pastor, I've, I've used this statement many times, I live in a fishbowl. I'm seen from every side. I've had comments over these many years, if I'm outside from the pulpit, Somebody sees me out there. Oh, I didn't know pastors ate food. I've had kids say that to me. Mom, he's eating. Imagine that. I've had others, they see me at a car show. I, I didn't know pastors like cars. Oh, no, we love camels, really. We just go everywhere on a camel. And it's those moments, of course, where you're human and somebody sees you. I, I'm not going to throw my father-in-law under the bus, but it was such a funny story that I shared at the memorial service for him. Some of you might remember, but it was, it was Walter Langdon personified. When these two characters in my life were so important, my father-in-law and my mother. And we're in Thomaston, Georgia. Sheila and I were serving as youth pastors there. And Brother Langdon, uh, Walter Langdon, of course, is there. And 
wanting to do a little work there on that small farm and had a small chainsaw and he couldn't get it started. He kept pulling and it wouldn't start. And my mother's out there were talking to us. And about that time, Walter Langner took that chainsaw and threw it as far as he could throw it. Which those of you that knew him, that didn't shock you at all. It was my mother who says, I didn't know preachers would do something like that. <laughs> Brother Langdon was on his A game. He said, I'm not preaching right now. <laughs> I love that moment. And I share that because that's where all of us are. When you come to a place of responsibility... Nobody out there really expects you to be perfect at all times. It is the humanity that shows up. And they watch us deal with it. If we have failed, are we capable of repenting? Is this good preaching? Because none of you have ever expected me to be perfect, have you? Oh, it got quiet in the house. No, pastor, you're always perfect. It isn't this license to just do whatever you want to do. It is this modeling that there's a Holy Spirit that dwells in us. That when we do find ourselves getting away from the straight and narrow, there is that strength that helps us get back. When we make a poor decision and we learn that we've made a poor decision, are we capable of saying, I was wrong? To watch us in the fishbowl, to see us as we lift our hands in a sanctuary and worship, which is very important, but also see us on aisle 11 at the grocery store or the department store. Do I go into how we drive our vehicles? So I finish with this. What a statement. Where are the fathers? You got all these counselors. And notice what he said, in Christ. He wasn't saying just whosoever. You can have 10,000 counselors in Christ, but where are the fathers? Do we aspire to get to that level to where we too can walk with such a confidence? I want you to imitate me. I want you to copy I'll finish with this. It's a, some of you would recognize it. Uh, it goes way back with me. It's, it's one of those that I keep with me, and I read it from time to time. Rudyard Kipling, and he's simply entitled If, and you'll see the real impact of it as it concludes, when he simply says, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies. Or being hated, don't give away to hating. And yet don't look too good nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make your thoughts your aim, 
If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. If you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools. Or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up again with worn out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and stand again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone. And so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue or walk with kings nor lose your common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and which is more, you'll be a man, my son. Would you stand with me as we close out today?